0: you, everyone. It's like you need to be front and center so I can just look in on you and be encouraged. So um, I want us to turn to James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. I know that we've been going through the book of James over the last few weeks. And just some reminders, if you haven't been here, it's, it's believed that James was one of the first books that was written in the New Testament, actually, maybe even before Acts. And he was writing to the early Jewish church after Stephen's death, after Stephen was martyred. A lot of people scattered abroad because they were full of fear and they were maybe seeking safety and refuge in other places. And this book was him writing to those people. And even though he was writing to the Jewish church right after Jesus' death, um, it's still really relevant today. And I think what I love about James is it's extremely practical, it's straightforward, it's to the point. Um, When I was doing my research, a lot of people were actually comparing it to the book of Proverbs um, for just this quick, easy, practical insights, but that are hard to apply in practice, right? So this passage specifically deals with this notion of of not showing partiality or favoritism. And in this, James is warning us as believers to not show partiality. But what does that really mean for us today? And, and that's what we're gonna talk about today. What does that really mean? So I want us just to read the passage here. So I'm gonna start in chapter two. I think that it's up here. Actually, let's stand. Do you guys ever do that? Let's stand for the reading of the word. Okay. So, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you sit over there or sit on the floor by my feet, Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, you can be seated. So, in this passage, James starts off, by warning us against showing partiality. And he actually uses this example of actually giving preference or showing special attention to a rich person over a poor person. And when you look up the definition of partiality, I feel like it's kind of a word we don't use very much in our common language, but it's really an unfair bias in favor of one thing or person compared with another. And so the key word there is like an, unfa- an, an un. I'm sorry, What did I say? Unfair bias. So it's an unfair bias where you're actually making a judgment that isn't accurate. And so in this, what James is actually warning us against is this whole idea of assigning value to someone or something without the eyes of the Holy Spirit. So without the Holy Spirit's guidance, we are actually inaccurate judges of someone's value. So let me just repeat that. Without the Holy Spirit's guidance in our flesh, we cannot accurately assign value. So why is this? Well, from the beginning of time, since the fall of of Adam and Eve in the garden we started ascribing to a society and a culture that was upside down, right? We hear a lot about this upside down kingdom, that everything that God is is doing and proclaiming is actually in opposition to our sinfulness and our brokenness and our flesh. And what has happened over time, and I think I'm going to specifically talk a little bit even about just American culture in itself, that everything, the things that we assign value to, Think about it for a second. Even living in Boston, what do we assign value to? Wealth, intellect, position, prestige, appearance. So, like all of the things that society values and that are even placed on us for our worth comes from this place of brokenness. And that's not what the, that's not what the kingdom of heaven values. That's not what God values. So I want us to look at a passage from the Old Testament that actually addresses this tendency in us, and it's from 1 Samuel 16. So if you remember, Samuel was tasked by God to go find this new king of Israel, and he went over to Jesse's house because that's where God had told him to go. And he sees um, Jesse and he says, go bring all your sons before me because one of them I'm going to anoint. So if you remember the story, these people, his sons came in, and he starts off with the oldest one, and immediately Samuel thinks in his heart, oh, this must be the one. There was something like presidential about him. What do we even say about people who we think are like presidential? They're tall. They have some type of stature. They have a timber even about their voice. I mean, there have been people that have been discounted from political roles because they're short or they have a high, scratchy voice. Or they can't speak the right way, the way that people are hoping that they'll be able to speak from the the spotlight. And immediately, Samuel, even though he was so in tune with God, immediately, even in his own heart, he picked the the wrong one right away. And he sees a lie come through, and he says, surely this must be the one. And immediately, God says to him, and we have it, I think, up here. He says, Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And in that moment, Samuel was quick to obey, and the rest of those sons were passing before him. And every time, God was just like, this isn't the one, this isn't the one. And then all of them went by, and I can imagine him in this exasperated state thinking, did I miss it, God? Did I miss it? And then he says, Jesse, do you have any other sons? And then Jesse says, even Jesse wasn't assigning value to David, right? And he said, okay, I do have another one. And scholars believe that, that David was conceived in sin. He was an illegitimate one of the sons, you know, redheaded persons, you know, little out in the fields, and Jesse hadn't even considered him either. And then Samuel said, okay, go get him, bring him in. And as soon as he comes in, God said, that's the one. Do you remember what God said about David? a man after my own heart. There was no way that Samuel would have known that unless he was plugged into what God was saying about him. I want to tell you a story about my dad. So my dad is, um, he's in his mid-70s, and he goes to, we live, he lives in like a rural town in Missouri, goes to a church that's pretty flat demographically, very white, very traditional Nazarene church. And um, they still like have like an organ and a piano. And my dad, they dress up when they go sing hymns. And my dad um, has this neighbor that he's been taking care of for quite a few years. He's a physician. And um, he's always trying to get this neighbor to come to church with him. So the one day that he said that he would go, it was actually a day that my sister and Anna, my niece, were visiting. And they went to go pick up this neighbor. And my dad goes and knocks on the door. And this is, they're a very poor family. And I would say this man is probably in his 60s. He still lives with his mom. And by the world standards, Amer- and even in America, I would say there was nothing about him that we would have valued by the world standards. Poor uneducated, suffered from multiple addictions to alcohol, some physical disabilities, mental disabilities, overweight. Um, my dad goes and knocks on the door. And out, out comes Tommy, who is in a, a cut-off shirt. It was probably about up to here. And cut-off jean shorts that were probably like booty shorts, what you would imagine. And, um, <laughs> He he's overweight, so, like, his gut is hanging out over. He has cowboy boots on and a cowboy hat. And not only, on top of all that, he has multiple sores and probably, like, staph infection. Things are oozing out. And he, my dad doesn't even blink an eye. He's like, get in the car. You know, he's helping him get, get in. And my sister was, like, in all of her empathy, <laughs> was like, Dad he needs to get a sweater. I, I don't know what the church, what they're going to think, you know. And my sister is so open, but I think she was more worried about how Tom was going to feel if people were looking at him. And my dad said, oh, Kathy, don't worry. Just don't worry about it. He gets in. My dad probably had like a button down on and, and slacked even. So they get in, they go into church, and my sister was probably thinking, "That's okay, we can sit in the back. You know, no one's going to notice." We'll come in, and if he, they're pews still that they sit in, do you guys remember pews? So nobody's going to notice. <laughs> um, it just happened to be the Sunday when when they were taking communion that instead of passing the plate, they wanted everyone to come up to the front, right? But I I tell you this story I think there was something about my dad that in all of his wisdom, there was something in him that was so tapped into this whole idea of what does God value? And what he was seeing in Tommy was hunger. That's what God values. And I think my dad just thought, it doesn't matter. Oops, sorry. I think he just thought, it really, Can you sit back on? It really doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. And you know what? If anything, this is an opportunity for, for the Holy Spirit to remind others about what it means to have someone in your midst that's hungry and to not quickly assign value to them. So what and who does God value? You know, when, when Jesus came, When he came and he walked on this earth, there are so many places throughout the New Testament where we see radical things that he was doing. And I think this this passage specifically talks about not giving preference to the rich over the poor. But that wasn't even what Jesus... His message wasn't, you know, don't elevate one over the other, right? His message was that he'd come to balance those scales, right? He had come to balance the weight by which we were putting things on. Because he was saying, everything is wrong that you think. I'm going to bring the high people low, and I'm going to bring the low people up. And do you remember that passage where it says, every mountain will be brought low, every valley will be lifted up, so the glory of the Lord will come through, so you'll see the glory of the Lord. There was something about balancing that system that he really wanted to do. And there are a few things that I'm going to talk about today that I saw when I was looking through all the scriptures and thinking about this, that Jesus really values and that God had valued time and again. But I could probably spend hours up here talking about the things that he values. But one of the things I want to value that we even saw in verse five of the passage was those who are rich in faith. Have I not chosen those who are poor in um, poor, to become rich in faith and inherit the kingdom. And there's a passage in Luke 7, if you remember the story of the centurion. Do you remember? So here is also a man who is elevated in society. A great example that it wasn't that Jesus was saying, I'm just going to only work with the poor. This, was, this centurion was very prestigious, highly esteemed in his community. And you know what? His servant was sick. Do you remember that? His servant was sick, and he sent the elders of the town to go talk to Jesus and he said, please come and heal my servant. And there was something about even the centurion, centurion, he was so moved by compassion for the fact that his servant was dying. And there was something in him that Jesus saw, and he wanted to latch on to. Even though there were throngs of people traveling with him, he stopped to, to go in, to go address this one need because he saw something that was so valuable and it made him stop what he was doing and change directions and go towards this thing that he was valuing in this person. And so as he was on his way, if you remember, the centurion sent another friend out to say, hey, tell him I'm not even worthy of him to be in my home. I don't, even, I don't even think he should come over here. And the other part that he said that was just so phenomenal was he said, you know what, I'm a man of great authority, and so I understand. If you give the word, my servant will be healed. You don't even need to come. And what Jesus said was, I've never seen faith like that anywhere in all of Israel. He was so moved by this man's faith. What else does God value? he values those who hunger like Tommy. So another story that came to mind when I was thinking about this was when Jesus was actually walking and he, um, this was when Zacchaeus climbed up in that tree. So again, Jesus is surrounded by all of these people who seemed hungry and maybe they were, but who did Jesus go to? The one who was desperate, this tax collector. He was short Again, we've seen that's not really valued, no offense to short people, but we've seen in society's eyes over and over, there's a certain body type and stature even, and it's, it's, it's all mistaken. But in this, Zacchaeus was so short that he had to climb up to see. He was so desperate, and that is who Jesus stopped to talk to, and he said, this is what I value in you, Zacchaeus, and that's who he chose to go spend time with. He wanted to go with the tax collector. If you think about tax collectors, I mean, just like our Franny Mays and Freddie Max, the scoundrels, you know, of society that have taken all of our money and oppressed us and they got bailed out. I mean, whatever your opinion is on that, there was something rightfully wrong, right? And the fact that they took people's money, and that's what Zacchaeus did. But it didn't even matter to Jesus because he was so drawn to that hunger in Zacchaeus. He was also drawn to the merciful, to people. Can you grab me one of those, Chris? Okay. Thank you. He was, I was just thinking, I'm so thirsty. (laughs) Thank you. Um, he was, he was drawn to those who are merciful and this is going back to the old Testament, but this story strikes me so much. If you remember Rahab, right? Rahab was merciful to those two spies and she was recognized in the, in Hebrews 11, in this hall of fame of faith, right? Right. Rahab was valued before she left her life of prostitution. She was in it still. There was nothing about her state that had been redeemed at all. And, and God valued Rahab and honored her. She's mentioned so many times throughout the New Testament of the lineage of Jesus. And she was merciful and she was full of courage. And when those two spies came, there was something in her that recognized that they were holy and she wanted to protect them and save them. And she was honored because of that. Jesus also values those who seek the truth. And when I think about the passage in John 3. This is when Nicodemus actually came to see Jesus. And Nicodemus, again, was one of the leaders at the time of the law. He was afraid. He was actually scared. That's why we think he came to see Jesus at night. He was so afraid of what people thought that he came to Jesus at night to ask him questions. But Jesus valued with that, valued that, and he sat and had this like, intellectual banter with Nicodemus because he knew that's what Nicodemus would love. He was a teacher of the law. He wanted to sit and speak in these riddles. What does it mean to be born of the spirit, born again, born of the flesh? He was engaging in this dialogue with him. And do you remember when Jesus died, Nicodemus was there. I don't know if you guys remember that, but he came when they were burying him in Joseph's grave. And there was something that that stuck in Nicodemus, that, that from that encounter with Jesus, and Jesus was so drawn to his hunger for the truth. I could go on and on. Those who obey. There are so many passages that all Jesus was looking for was somebody who was going to obey. And we can even see in the Old Testament, even with Gideon, who was so small. He said, I'm the least of these. I'm the least of these. And you're wanting me to go? And God was like, that's exactly right. I'm wanting you to go. And all of these things I've mentioned, we have rich in faith, those who hunger, those who are merciful, those who seek the truth, those who obey. Can we see those things with our human eyes in the flesh? Can we see those things about people? No. We have no way of knowing all around us what God is doing in somebody and how he wants to actually bring them closer to him. And he's assigning value based on things that we cannot see in our flesh. So how do we do this? How do we see people the way that God sees them? How do we let Jesus assign value to people for us? I want to share another story um, about this woman. I have a woman in my life, and she's probably in her 60s, that, um, again, by... By my flesh and the world's standards, um, she's hard to spend time with. And she's, it's, it's often that I don't find a lot of value in my, my engagement with her. Um, if you think about, Eva, I was thinking about myself, some of the things I value efficiency, quality, speed. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, somebody that's gonna fill me up, right? Somebody that's gonna encourage me somebody that's not awkward, Um, those are the things that by my flesh I value. And so, and I say that in with the fear and trembling this morning, because those are not the things the Holy Spirit values. But with this woman that I often don't have time for, she, again, by the world standards, multiple emotional, physical, mental disabilities, slow, um, not easy to be with, a little bit Um, unhappy with the world and demanding of my time, and... There's something about though, like I just have always felt like that Jesus is saying, this is somebody I want you to spend time with. And, and I'm constantly going through this cycle, even though I am even speaking from this, there, I, there it's a revelation of what God values that I have to actually work through on a daily basis. It's not like I have just arrived. I have to constantly and daily when she's calling me or I need to return her phone call, I'm reevaluating and realigning what I'm valuing and what God is valuing valuing. And I can tell you, when I am able to get into the Spirit and look for the things inside of her that I know the Holy Spirit is valuing, I am just so moved by this woman when I spend time with her. I'm moved by her stories. I'm moved by the way that she loves people. And and, and you know what? I am in the presence of God because of her because of the things about her that God values that start emerging. And as he's realigning me with his value system, I'm changed in the process. So I get to experience the presence of God through her, and I get to experience the the presence of God next to me, where he's like, wasn't that hilarious? Like, I mean, we can laugh now. Like, we just have this really great open relationship. And it's, um, I'm not saying that, It's always easy to spend time with her. But I am learning how to treasure the things about her that that God has assigned value to. And it reminds me, you know, if you remember in Matthew 25, he talks about the least of these. And I I hesitate to even say that because I don't even—this woman is not the least of these. I think a lot of what Jesus was meaning in that passage was the least of these for you. Like these people that you think are the least in your eyes— the, this is where I am. And when you are spending time and actually realigning your value system to see people the way that I do, you get to experience me. When you do it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me, right? Those those words. And I always think about that when I'm, like, realigning myself to go spend time with her. So I want to go back to just James um, chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And this is where he says... Love your neighbor as yourself, and mercy triumphs over judgment. And he goes into this whole thing of that when we aren't upholding this law of actually loving our neighbor as ourselves, we're guilty of breaking all of it. It doesn't really matter. All the other things that we're doing that we think are in line with what he's telling us to do, if we are not loving our neighbor, we're breaking all of it because everything is hinged on this. Everything actually is hinged on this whole thing of what he is actually assigning value to. And I think he's even, I I was thinking even about, like, we pick and choose even the laws that we want to uphold. We show partiality even to his law, right? So many times in our lives, I feel like we're saying, that's okay, I got this, I tithe all the time, so it's okay if I slip over here. But he's saying, that doesn't matter, like, you guys are showing partiality even when you're doing that. So that's what I was struck by even when I was reading this. That we have to actually, it's all hinged on this idea of loving your neighbor as yourself. And the rest of those commands are falling in line with that if we're doing it. And he's also calling us to mercy. And this whole thing about mercy triumphs over judgment. There was another translation that I read where it says that mercy takes Dominion over judgment. It actually takes dominion, authority. It rises above judgment. And that's what he's asking us to do. He's saying all of those situations where you see where you're kind of placing a value or making a mark on someone, your mercy is what triumphs. And if the quicker that we can align ourselves with the Holy Spirit, the more triumphant we will be, right? And the more aligned with him we will be. And you know, the final judgment after he's separated everybody and those by the grace of God who are standing before him for that second judgment, he's going to actually, it says that we're going to stand before him and give an account of the way that we showed mercy. And he's going to look at us and he's going to say, hey, Emily, did you love well? Did you love well? I wonder if that may be the only question that he has to ask me, and then everything is going to flash before my eyes of all the times where I chose judgment over mercy. And I'd think, oh, because of the love of Jesus, I missed it. I missed an opportunity to actually love well. He's going to ask us, did you look for the kingdom riches inside of people? How did that play out in your life? So I want to just quickly share a final story. Um, this is actually I, about the Goods. I asked him if I could share the story. So as you know, Ron, some of you may know this. Ronnie and Lori and I lived in Dallas before we came to Boston. We both went to Mercy Place, which is like Antioch, Dallas now. Jordan Ogden was our, our pastor. And we didn't know each other very well then, but we would you know, see each other at church on Sundays. Um, so it was like 2006. So yeah, about 12 years ago. We were so young. Um, So, I, there were these two men that went to Mercy Place, and again, by the standards of the world, they were not probably people that you would assign much value to. They were probably, you know, 40s, 50s, Um, again, multiple, mental disabilities, and um, like maybe psychosocial problems. Um, they suffered from addiction off and on. They were in and out of rehab and often in transitional housing. Um, There was some question about their sexual orientation. There was like some gender fluidity um, happening, and they were very involved in our church, and they had great presence with us. Um, but it was always, I felt like, even then, even 12 years ago, I remember always just kind of thinking, like, huh, you know, like, I just was always amazed by just how involved they were in the way that people were treating them, and just showing them such respect and honor, but Ronnie and Lori took this to a whole new level for me. When um, I got a call one night from Mel, from one of them, he called my cell phone, and he said, hey, this is Mel, and I was wondering if you and Jen wanted to come over for dinner, and I thought, I don't even know if you guys have a house, but sure, so I said, okay, where should we meet you, and he said, well, we're over at Ronnie and Lori's house, and I said, oh, are they there? He said, oh, no, no, they're, they're, we're house-sitting for them, they're on vacation for a couple weeks, and I thought, what, they're letting these guys' house-sit for them? But I thought, I have to go, this is so interesting. (laughs) And so um, my friend Jen and I go over, and I'd never even been to Ronnie and Lori's house at the time, and I I go in, and uh, Mel and Wendell are in the backyard. They're grilling out steaks. It's like this full-on steak dinner. I'm sure there was like a bottle of wine open. There was all this food, and I thought, how in the world did they get all this food? So I say, hey, where did you guys get the steaks? And they said, oh, they were in the deep freeze. They told us to just make ourselves at home, and... This is, we just wanted to have a big party and invite you guys over. And so we're like, okay. So we're, we're, and then they give us a tour. I don't even know if you guys know this. They gave us a, they gave us a tour. And I'm thinking, this is so intimate. Like, I don't even know them. And I'm like looking around the room and, they, I mean, they were sleeping. I don't know where they were sleeping, probably in their bed, you know, but they, they were just so open And this was the best part. Wendell took me into the bathroom, and he was so excited about all Lori's toiletries. He'd been using them all, and he'd been... (laughs) (laughs) He had this, like, fake tanner he'd been putting on, and he said, Look how dark I am, you know? And uh, (laughs) it was so great. I was just so blown away, though. I was so touched by the fact that they had just let them into their home, given them full reign over all of their things. And it just really demonstrated um, just that what they valued was what God valued. There was no shame or no hesitation. Maybe there was, but it didn't seem like it to me. And I was so moved by the fact that you just let these guys go stay in your house for a week or so. And I think that is what we want to—we want to be a church that does that. We want to be people like that. And, and part of that comes from us realigning ourselves with what God values— and how he assigns that value. I mean, even standing up here before you today, I'm a testament to that for many of you who knew like seven or eight years ago when I was pregnant, and this church has honored me. I wouldn't have even been up here even in some churches or even some circles. A woman, a child out of wedlock, given a space to, to preach the word and really shown value because of what God values. I mean, we are a church that practices that and embodies that, but I think we can take it to a, n- a new level. And it comes from a place of really realigning our hearts with what God values. So I'm gonna ask the band to come up as we move into a response time. So as we move into a response time, there are a couple things that I want us to think about. The first is I want us to think about what do we need to repent of in response to this? Who and what are we valuing that is not reflective of what Jesus values? And there's also part of this, like, who... Who have we rejected that he's actually calling us to pursue? Are there people around you, people in your life and in your community, maybe even people within our church, that he's wanting you to pursue as a way of understanding his value system in a new way? And the second is I want us to think about how can we be a church that loves well so that when we stand before Jesus on that final judgment, when he says to us, hey, how did you love? Did you love well? That we are able to say, think of things. Think of things that really honor and please the heart of the Lord. And there's part of that that the question I think is, What new revelation of the heart of Jesus do we need to have so that we can love well? Because part of it may be you or me receiving a new revelation of Jesus and his all-encompassing love and, and all of the things about him that make him pursue the things that are hard for us to pursue that we need greater revelation of. I'm going to repeat those two things. And then some of us are going to be up here to, to pray. So if the prayer team wants to come up, so the first is who and what are we valuing that are not reflective of what Jesus values? And maybe you just want to pray and ask the Lord that and then come to a place of repentance where you can actually say, I want to value people the way that you do. And this is where I haven't. And then the other one is how can we be a church that loves well and what new revelation of the heart of Jesus do do we need to receive to do that better? So I'm just going to pray for us. Jesus, thank you that you see the things about us and that you value things about us that nobody sees and that you even call those things out in us even more. And right now, Jesus, I just want to say, God, that if there's anyone here that feels like they're under a value system that isn't right, that they would take that value system off and put on the new value system that you have for them. And Lord, I pray that as we go into this time, that you would speak to us, that you would show us the things that you want to show us. Where can we love more and well. What revelation do we need to have of you, Jesus, to actually be able to open our arms up wider to people that we aren't comfortable opening our arms up to? Because that's what you did. That's what you do every day. Lord, show us the people that we can draw near to so that we can experience greater revelation of, of your character and of who you are. Lord, show us who's sitting around your table. Who's sitting around your table, Jesus, right now? Whose feet are Are you sitting at washing right now, Jesus? And how can we be where you are?